I discovered the body and, and like, and like, um, that is something that's very untapped, but I think works really well, especially with a lot of, uh, Asian clients, because, um, study shows that a lot of Asian clients have like, instead of feeling, they have a lot of body symptoms. So I think that a lot of my therapy treatment and healing is a lot focused on the body and where the body holds the pain, where the body holds the shame, the anger. And through that pausing and looking deep within, you actually release a lot of that pain and you release a lot of that shame and trauma and it no longer sits with you. everyone. Welcome to Open Mind Night, a show that talks about everything mental health and mental illness related. I am your host, Robin Tamanaha, licensed marriage and family therapist. Joining me on this episode is my guest, Shawnee Liang. Uh, She's a licensed clinical social worker in New York City. She is a proud Asian American trauma therapist who specializes in EMDR and psychoanalysis, which helps adolescents and young women with life transitions and overcoming anxiety, depression, and attachment issues that hold them back in life. Um, As a therapist who works with young Asian American women, she has noticed a pattern of perfectionism, pressure to perform and people pleasing until burnout of exhaustion. She teaches women to stop feeling small and start taking up space. I love that. Hi. Oh, thank you. Hi, Robin. Hi, everyone that's watching after this recording. (laughs) Thanks for being here. Thanks for doing this. I'm excited to have you on. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So I have lots of questions and I fear we'll, we'll get into it. But first, um, I'm looking at which part of your bio to a, a big emphasis on like Asian American stuff, mm-hmm. which I love for you. Like, you know, as far as Asian American, like Asian American identity, like how does that kind of for from your experience, how has that shown up like in the therapy sessions and in treatment with you that like Asian American identity. You know what, uh, Robin, that's like such a good question. And like, this is like a question that I I feel like I think about a lot, but strangely, I didn't think about it that much um, before I started my private practice uh, last year, only because I had so many different types of clients seeing me but I think that I think that since I started private practice a lot of BIPOC clients um young women um women um of color uh women that are that see my face that I'm Asian um they want to work with me because of that and I actually started my own journey um just learning more about learning more about racism, learning more about the Asian American history. I, I think that 
um, last year with the anti-Asian hate crimes, it really, I think it really affected me and affected a lot uh, of our Asian American community. community. I'm in, I'm in uh, Queens, um, New York, but I worked as a school social worker in Chinatown and it really broke my heart. Um, it really broke my heart because during the pandemic, uh, there was a lot of racism. Um, I got out of the D train and I remember one time I was literally one block away from just seeing seeing this. Um, I think she was just like a, like a middle aged uh, young Asian American, not Asian American uh, immigrant. She's like an immigrant. And and this man this man just uh, took an umbrella and smacked her in the head and called her a diseased bitch. And I, I was like, literally like, just like one block away from, from her. And the guy just like ran. And that was like, right. Like before the pandemic hit, like it was like in the January of like 2019. So I think it made me, I, I think I am a little bit ashamed to say this, like I wasn't doing as much anti-racism work, but I think that now that I'm, I'm in private practice and I have more time to think about it and just what it means to be an Asian therapist and having that bicultural lens and working with a lot of Asian Americans on their identity, it kind of forced me to like really like look at it and like join groups and just be better. And, and it kind of like waking me up to it. Yeah. Yeah. You bring up a good point. I remember during that time and uh, what, even as I reflect back to the time of like the AAPI hate, it's, it's interesting because um, this is something of course, like at least from my experience, like my elders had experienced like decades ago like very very overtly and then for me it wasn't something there was like some subtleties like microaggression and stuff but I remember like when when the pandemic hit and there were all this these hate crimes and attacks on um on API or like you know immigrants I remember like I remember feeling like so scared which I had never felt before. Like I was, I remember one time those, I was like in a parking lot about to go into a grocery store. And I remember like getting like, okay, I'm going to get outside of my car. Like I never had to like prep myself. And then also having clients, you know, too, or people calling in, you know, because understandably this was like very traumatic, even seeing this on the news a lot. I think us as therapists too, we also were, um, holding that space, you know, for clients and providing that space to like, talk about these really scary, you know, traumatic situations that they're had either experienced or were seeing. I think there was kind of an increase in them, even therapy services during that too. Like I noticed it, a lot more people were reaching out, which I thought was great, you know, but at the same time, it was like, so unfortunate, like the way it had happened, you know, in that situation. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think like what was coming up for me was there was a lot of feelings of anger, but then another feeling was also 
joy because there was like momentum building for us like finally i think that asian americans are getting attention and also like we're on media so it was like such and people were speaking out like we had rallies and uh it was so cool like i've i remember in flushing there were just like people doing rallies and protesting and and I've never, yeah, I've never seen that. It was like a lot of energy and it was like kind of, it was really cool to be Asian American. Um, and this was only like six months ago. Right. Right. Yeah. I think, um, you know, in, in some ways as API kind of just like invisible or like we're kind of quiet, you know, and mm-hmm. with that, you know, it sounds like, um, definitely like what I had read in your bio, like take helping to take up space, you know, and, and showing up and being present and doing those, you know, marches and all those things, which I think is, is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, speaking of like invisibility, I, I think that one thing that got me really laughing and giggly is that I'm one of those uh, girls who never raised their hand in class. And I sat in the back of the class. Uh, probably, I think the most I ever said in class is just yes or no in my name, you know, for attendance. And and like, I, I thought of it as something really cool because it's a superpower where you have, it's like invisibility can be like a superpower because um, you don't get in trouble sometimes like, I've, I've done a lot of things in, in class just to see like how invisible I am and how much I can get away with. And it seemed like I could get away with a lot. And like one story that I, I told, cause I started writing stories after reading, um, Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong. Cause I, I was very inspired how she was able to just, uh, write her pain Um, But mine's, I wanted it to be a little bit more funny. And anyways, my story uh, was when I first came from Los Angeles to LA and, and it was just me and my mom. And I remember that time I had a lot of nosebleeds because a kid hit me in the nose. And after that, I, I always had nosebleeds like very easily. And she put a piece of like green, Chinese like bok choy cabbage in my nose and to stop the bleeding it worked but but I think that it was very embarrassing for me because I had a piece of green cabbage in my left nose like for the entire day like in third grade and none of the teachers kids like said in anything except my best friend and she I think like she she saw me and like two hours later, she's like, Shawnee, you have, you have a green, green piece of leaf in your nose. Like, you know that, right. And there's blood coming out of it and nobody said anything or did anything. And I I think that now that I think back, it was hilarious, but it was also a little bit sad because there is this, I think being Asian, there is this invisibility of not feeling seen and not feeling heard. Hmm. Yeah. And even maybe shame. I wonder how, if there's, if shame even factors into it, you know, I've heard, um, you know, everyone's experiences is, is different, but how do you feel about like 
API and like our Asians and like the topic of shame too. There's this uh there's this guy I followed um on Facebook. Um it's called Erasing Shame. Um yeah. and he he talks about he talks about um I think he openly shares that I may be wrong. I think he shares he has bipolar um or or something like that. And then he he um reached out and got like mental illness, uh, sorry, mental health services. And he started this, um, he started this podcast, like interviewing uh, people who also have mental illness and are also Asian. And, and I, I think that his thing is called erasing shame, because I, I think that being Asian, I think that being Asian, like growing up, and even just like being Asian itself, there is this, uh, internalized shame and it's so invisible that you can't speak of it and when you can't speak with speak of it you can't heal from it it's almost like i think kathy park hong did a really good job explaining about that it's just that i think that we learned it as a kid our school lunches um our you know, we hide our school lunches because it smells like there's smells of fish, um, um, you know, sushi or like um, for I think for my culture, I'm Chinese. It's like salty fishes and things like that. It's garlic, chives, like things like that are very like very smelly. Um, and and even like I remember being made fun of because I was wearing um these so like in China, um, they have these like um, what is it called? I think it's like, uh, what it's like um, it's like elastic. It's like sweatpants, but but like it's not jeans, and it always has like a lot of like colorful like cartoons in it and things like that. So I actually didn't wear jeans until. I, I think until like maybe fifth grade or sixth grade. And I remember all the popular kids like complimenting me. I always wore those baggy, like scrunchy, um, fobby, like um, sweatpants. And I am I always put it over like like over my um, waist because it was so big that it just falls down. Um, But I, I think that a lot of I think just me myself, I think of it like a lot of it is like internalized shame. Um, a lot of times you, you kind of hide that identity that, um, in IFS, we internalize uh, family systems. It's that part of you that the Asian part of you that you hide because you know that, um, society doesn't accept it. Yeah. Oh, so many thoughts. (laughs) Yeah. And so. How do you, you know, can you um, tell like the listeners and like the viewers, you know, as far as like, who knows, maybe the listeners or viewers might be curious about like kind of therapy too. And like Mm -hmm. how these different components in these different pieces like show up, you know, in the therapy room and kind of what work is like done with these different, like these different topics that we went over. Sure. So I would say um, 
one, I have, I had a very big shift in my, um, in my therapy. Um, I think previous to, previously, I think like previous to 20, 2018, before that, I was very like psychodynamically trained. I was very interested and um, taught to, to like go into the unconscious and figure out what are the unconscious behaviors and thinking. But then I discovered um, there's an, I discovered like EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing, which is a type of trauma work where you move your eye back and forth and you think of the disturbing memory and it helps a lot of clients process. But through that, long story short, I discovered the body and, and like, and like, um, that is something that's very untapped, but I think works really well, especially with a lot of, uh, Asian clients, because, um, study shows that a lot of Asian clients have like, instead of feeling, they have a lot of body symptoms. So I think that a lot of my therapy, treatment and healing is a lot focused on the body and where the body holds the pain, where the body holds the shame, the anger. And through that pausing and looking deep within, you actually release a lot of that pain and you release a lot of that shame and trauma and it no longer sits with you. And you get into these like really powerful transformative experiential work where me and my client were just like crying like we're just crying because it because it's just hurts but it's also like hurts so good that like you feel like they're 10 pounds lighter after they they left your place and it's really interesting because a few sessions later you you actually see a different person um you notice they dress differently um they no, they lo, no longer have the urge to smoke, to shop. Um, it's like almost different person. Sometimes you see them coming in with a different haircut too. So as far as like the body work, is it like they, you have them like identify and acknowledge and sit with like where they're holding it, like these different emotions or what, like what, what exactly does it look like? Like if you can maybe give an example of what, what the body work, like how it kind of, how you get there and like how you do that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think a good way to, to think of it is more like first, I think first is like, you have to help them. I think you have to help them kind of pause and slow down. So I think a lot of my, my therapy work is slowing down talking slower so they they can feel feel the body and start noticing within because if they're talking they're not feeling so talk less feel more so i would tell them to pause and do like a body scan so so i would want them to like notice i would actually track i would track from moment to moment like what's going on like um one one nice uh, sign a track is if they sigh because a sigh is like some, it's like they're releasing something. So you want to notice, notice those signs and you want to, uh, one thing is also the throat. 
sometimes like clients will hold the throat, like they want to say something or, or something wants to be released. So, so it's not, it's not like hard to figure out where to start and begin. And then you just want them to breathe into that area, that tension. And, and you want them to kind of describe and name that part and name the feelings, thoughts, sensation. And sometimes what's really interesting is that um, they can describe the different colors, the felt sense. Um, you know, they can give that shame a name. You know, sometimes that sometimes that shame has a name. Sometimes it's fuzzy. Sometimes it's heavy. It's spike spike and and they could close their eyes and they can just go there and i also add in a lot of uh tapping resource tapping which we do that in emdr a lot which is um you can just tap like butterfly taps back and forth and that really helps them have that you can see really interesting as i tap my eyes are moving back and forth you can have that bilateral stimulation which is um very very good for trauma work when you're triggered. That's really neat. So it sounds like this, because with the clients, maybe there's like that kind of suppressing emotions or it's all like, it's very much, um, or maybe more somatic too, right? So this helps like hone in on that and help process some of that and, and bring it out, especially when it's related to trauma. And I think too, there is um, even like intergenerational trauma, you know, there's all types of trauma, you know, uh, forms of trauma. And so this sounds like it, it helps with that. I think that's really neat. And I like what you said about too, how even slowing down speech, because mm-hmm. you're right. If you're talking really fast, you're not really kind of attuned, right. To, to what's happening, you know, in your body and you're kind of just, your mind's just go, go, go. Um, that's really neat. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that it, we're, we live, I, I, I love to say I'm a trauma therapist because we live in a time where we have so much neuroscience and so much research backing up um, trauma work. It's not like back in the day where you just tell your trauma over and over again until the point you just, you just like kind of explode and run away. Um. And, and I think that one, the, one of the reasons why I I really like doing trauma work is because there's, there's so many evidence base and there's so many modalities that are effective, you know, there's cure out there versus, Mm -hmm. versus I, I'm not so confident like with other forms of a mental illness that might require like medication, require more, more, um, therapy and self-management. But nowadays we can say, actually say that if you have PTSD, um, trauma treatment can get rid of it. You know, we can get rid of the trauma. We, you don't, it, we're not putting a bandaid on it. We're not making your, we're not working around it. EMDR actually, EMDR, AEDP, um, which is another modality I use it stands for accelerated experiential dynamic psychotherapy, which works with core emotions. That 
help really helps people um, not have to live with PTSD symptoms anymore. What's that one? Um, so um, that one is like a newer form of therapy created by Diana Fosha. Um, it is really cool. I used to share a suite with her. So I, I used to see her around. Um, but um, that one combines a lot of somatic therapy focusing and it it's very experiential and it also combines a lot of the cycle dynamic i would say it's like trauma 2.0 where it focuses on the attachment it's very relational because what happens when you have childhood trauma or wounds um, your attachment your relationship with other um, caregivers or people you care about um, kind of gets like cut, like, and you're trying to, and through the therapy, you're trying to build and heal a lot of the attachment that people, that people suffer from. So for example, one of the common attachments that people with, uh, PTSD or, you know, people that went through sexual assault or rape might have is very anxious attachment. You don't feel safe in this world. You feel like you're constantly in danger um, and you're very anxious and you might have fear of abandonment. Um, these are so common, but I think AEDP is really good because it, it kind of helps melts away the defenses, but it's very here and now. And it, it builds a relationship between the therapist and the client where where it's like, if I jump, you jump, we're both like jumping into that vulnerable state to kind of like help you build, build that um, strength, but it also releases the core emotion. Um, so some, some of the core emotions I'm talking about actually is like shame, anger, sadness, like these emotions that usually um, are on the bottom. If you think about it as an inverse triangle, and then like some of the defenses and inhibitory affects that you feel before you feel those emotions, maybe like anger as a defense or guilt as a defense, anxiety, that anxiety is a big one, right? Because you feel a lot of anxiety and that kind of masks a deeper uh, core affect, which may be shame. And, you know, speaking of trauma, I think that it's very related to shame. Oftentimes, oftentimes a lot of trauma survivors don't think they have trauma. And oftentimes they feel like it's their fault. There is a lot of feeling because of the response they got from their parents after being raped or survived a trauma that it's their fault. Maybe they shouldn't have dressed that way, acted that way. Um, and, and it's also, it's not just like that one incident, but it's like one incident happened from the other incident. And, and oftentimes it's the shame that doesn't, doesn't like help a lot of Asians and, uh, you know, and that ties to the model minority, which is, that's that like Asians 
don't need handouts. They don't need help. They can just do it on their own, right? We're perfect. Um, I think even coming to this podcast, I, I thought about, you know, how how I can like, how I can like show off that I'm like the perfect therapist, um, you know, have the, have like, um, have to show that, you know, like I have it all together. Um, but I think that that is coming from a place of insecure and insecure attachment and also shame that maybe I, I don't have it all together. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and you bring up a good point. That's hard. You know, like what you said too, about the model minority, because there is that, like you said, not handouts, not helping. We got to push through, we're pushing through no matter what, we're going to show up and look a certain way, you know, and be perfect, you know, so, so thank you too for sharing all that. And also, um, you know, what came up for you before, before joining, you know, being on this podcast, because I think that is something I also experience as, as well, you know, and, and I, and I would think too, even in our, in our world of, you know, therapy clients, you know, too, wonder if there's anyone out there that, is kind of brushing things aside or kind of pushing it aside to keep going um, as opposed to, you know, maybe, you know, taking care of themselves, addressing their mental health. You know, therapy is essentially asking for help, but it's also, um, it's also taking care of your, of yourself and that it's okay. It's okay to talk about things, especially if there's a lot of like, like you mentioned trauma, there's a lot of layers, you know, Mm -hmm. to, to the whole therapy process. Um, And it sounds like the ADP, it's like, like you said, it's a blend of, the the uh, experiential and some of the attachment and then the core emotions. So for the for the listeners, um, the experiential too is that like as therapists we're noticing what's happening in the room, kind of present moment, maybe what's going on relationally, and we kind of use that right to like process what's happening in the room, right? And then you mentioned that attachment, you know, um, piece, and and also getting to that core emotion, which I think is huge because. Those, I feel like those two really help facilitate getting to the core emotions and getting down on like to a deeper, deeper level. Yeah, it's powerful shit. Yeah. I, I've did it by, I did it myself as well. Like I've, I've done some, I've been a client and I've done some EMDR work um, with like my own memories and, and I cried, I cried like a baby for 90 minutes, but but it was very healing and, and it's a lot faster. It's a, sometimes it's a lot faster. It kind of moves that moves the wheels. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I thought of something and it like left my mind. Um, Oh, trauma. So there's all different forms of trauma, right? Like you mentioned, maybe there's abuse and all that. Um, but also, you know, with the API too, and Asians, you know, you know, refugee or immigrants, it's sometimes like the, our parents or grandparents, they experience something. And then it, the, the, the studies with intergenerational trauma are like so interesting on how like some of the symptoms get passed down, even if you weren't directly experiencing that, but like your family members were to where it kind of shows up as symptoms of PTSD. And then two tied with like the shame, right? Or that so I've, I've heard some try to like almost do this comparison. Well, I'm going through this right now and this is hard. However, like what my parent and grandparent went through was like this, you know? So then that kind of adds to this, like 
invisibility, feeling bad about feeling bad, or maybe kind of just suppressing, like doing that emotional suppression. Right, right. And, and you know, like I'm giggling inside again because like I'm I'm just thinking like if anxiety gets passed on, if my mom's bad body odor gets passed on to me, like why not trauma, you know, if smelly armpits get passed on. So I, I think like why not like trauma, like if if let's just say like our parents went through something really scary um, and sad and, you know, I think that. China had a lot of China had a lot of like history with like famine and war um, and like with the one child policy act uh, may, maybe like because there was not much therapy and depression doesn't like you know that term doesn't exist that um, it could be that my mom stuffed my their her emotions right and it stayed in the body and it got passed on to me interesting yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm just like, I'm just thinking like, even like my cat, right. Um, my cat Coco, she, I'm a lover of cats. And when I first got her, she was very anxious and she was very nervous. Um, but I think just through, through like the repair of having an, another attachment with her, she started being more, more like my husband. Um, she was very calm. She was very chill, very friendly. So attachment changes. She became more secure. So I, I think that if it applies to cats, if it applies to genetics, like, I, yeah, I think that now we have research that it does get passed on. And, and you know, we get, we get the good stuff from our ancestors, also the bad stuff. So what's beautiful about um, trauma therapy is that it breaks that vicious cycle. So your your seven generations on will thank you because yeah. you don't have to pass that on again. Yeah, and that is very true. Like it's it's interesting because there's that biological maybe component that you mentioned, and also um, what it's like to be around them. Right, I think we pick up on a lot of things, especially from our attachment figures, on how to respond to distress how to address things or not, you know, so that's all kind of blended together. But yeah, with attachment work, because I know there's like attachments really, really cool. Like I love it being able to see like, okay, which, you know, is it anxious, avoidant, all these, you know, you know, different ones. Um, but ultimately, yeah, like it can be worked towards being secure. And we see this in couples work too, right? Like they could work towards that. So it's not like, life sentence, like this is me forever, um, their change can happen. And fortunately through therapy and especially trauma work, it's very, very much possible because that's essentially what it's facilitating. Mm-hmm. Right. And actually um, a trauma, I, I think that I'll actually like for, for me, like that was what really helped me found, found my partner, um, the book Attached uh, by I think Dr. Levine that instead of looking for, you know, the most handsome looking guy, I was looking for a guy that had secure attachment. People who show up when they say they'll show up, people who answer messages, they don't play games, they're consistent, and they don't run away whenever there's conflict. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we have a little bit of time. Before we end, though, is there anything 
um, about what we talked about that I didn't ask that you would want the listeners or viewers to know more about? Um, it depends how much time. Yeah, we've got like, <laughs> I know, um, we got like three minutes or so. Oh. I guess it'd be more like elaboration on things. If, if I didn't go, you know, you wanted to elaborate more on something. Oh, um, I think, I think I just wanted to say that, um, I, I just wanted to say that it's very important to ask for help. You know, that there is no, I think there is like no shame. Uh, we shouldn't feel bad for asking for help. I think even therapists see their therapists. Um, and, and that like, you shouldn't suffer alone and, and like feel, feel like you have to have it all together. And, and even people that, even people that are very successful, highly successful, you know, go to therapy and, and they seek help because, because like, this is something, there's something like your mind is like very complicated. So, so with any type of complicatedness, there's blind spots and professionals can help you seek um, insight and patterns and why you do the things that you do, even though it's harmful for you and why you seek relationships that are so similar, but you can't get out of it. Yeah. Almost like this uh, repetition, like a, like a groundhog's day. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Thanks for, uh, thanks for saying that. Yeah, and I think too, even though people may not be talking about it so much, you know, like Shawnee said, there are a lot out there who, you know, who are seeking help. There are us therapists included, right? We do our part in that. And, um, and so it's okay. You know, I think some people feel like they need permission, but you don't. Um, but there are a lot out there, a lot of BIPOC out there that are reaching out. They just may not be saying it so much, right? Um, so if the listeners or viewers want to know more about you, where could they go? Like certain social media handles or website? Yes. Um, so I have a website. It's uh, Therapy with Shawnee, uh, www.therapywithshawnee, S-H-A-N-N-I.com. And I also have an Instagram that I just started. It's called, um, I think it's therapy.shawnee. And, um, and I also have a, a Facebook page. I think it's called Therapy T, but you might find something else. I don't, I don't know the thing with Facebook, but um, right now I am accepting clients and I'm starting a young women's group. So would love to hear from you guys. Um, if you, even if you just really enjoyed this uh, podcast slash YouTube video, just, you know, reached out, reach out to us. If you want to learn more about trauma work or just, um, or just wanted to just reach out and say, you know, you listened to our podcast and found it really inform informative. Definitely. Yes, definitely do so. And what I'll do is um, in the show notes and then on YouTube for this video, I'll put all your links. So your website and your social media links, that way um, the listeners and viewers can just, 
easily click on it and go to you and check out um, like the group that you mentioned, find out more about you. And then if they want to um, potentially explore therapy with you, then they can, um, they can probably schedule a consult there. So I'll put that in there for the listeners and viewers. So thank you so much, Shawnee, for doing this. It was a pleasure having you on. Oh, yes. Um, I really enjoyed this as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for having me. No problem. All right. Well, take care. Thanks for listening. Hopefully this was informative or helpful. If you think this episode may be helpful to others that you know, be sure to share this episode with them. The resources mentioned and the contact information for today's guests are listed in the show notes. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating. If you would like to stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast and follow the podcast Instagram, Open Mind Night Pod. Also, this podcast is not psychotherapy or counseling. If you need to speak with a professional, you should find one local to you and contact them directly. If this is an emergency, please call your local emergency number or go to your nearest emergency department.